Could I ask you what you're most afraid of? Just get it in your head. What are you most afraid of? The Harris Poll, they conducted some research uh, to uncover more information, more data on that very question. And uh, the research returned some fascinating results. Do you know that snakes top the list of the most common fear? How many of you said snakes? Not very many of you. More than a third, 36% of all adults say they are very afraid of snakes. Fear of heights is also a problem for many people. Most people are at least somewhat afraid of looking down from a great height. 23% are very afraid of doing so. The fear of flying, interestingly, is also quite high on the list of fears. 14% of adults are very afraid of flying. 35% of adults are very or somewhat afraid of flying. Other fears that were quite high on that Harris Research list, uh, being alone in the forest. 13% of adults are very afraid of being alone in the forest. They do not live in Montana, I'm certain. 41% of adults are very or somewhat afraid of being alone in the forest. Spiders or insects, 12% of adults are very afraid. 37% are very or somewhat afraid. Mice, 10% of people are very afraid of mice. I know some people who are unbelievably frightened of mice. 27% of people are very or somewhat afraid of mice. Uh, Turn to the person you came with and tell them what you are most afraid of. You can do that now. One, two, three, go. Quickly. Oh, but those are fun conversations happening right now. All right, bring it back. A very interesting thing. Have you ever thought about this? The very thing that we're talking about right now, fear, was not at all a part of the human existence until the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. Have you thought about that? Fear was not at all a part of human existence until the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. That means that there was this period of time when human beings, at least the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, they lived without any hint of fear whatsoever. You imagine what life would be like without even a hint of fear. Look at Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Here's where it happens. Fear is present. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, that's Adam and his wife Eve, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. I wonder what that sounded like. They heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. Maybe God had cords on and it made that one sound... The cord walking sound. I doubt it. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. There it is. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid. And since that moment, Genesis chapter 3, nothing has changed, has it? People, that's all of us, are still caught in the grip of their, or should we say, our fears. Every single person, no matter how incredibly brave they may seem, is afraid of something. 
For you, it might be snakes. For you, it might be spiders or disease or financial setback or old age or gray hair or rejection or disappointment or embarrassment or being forgotten. Maybe even the fear of death is what haunts you. And on and on and on the list could go. And one thing that we absolutely know is that fear has a tendency to run particularly high during this Christmas season, doesn't it? And while we all know in our heads that this is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a joyous, happy, most of all, Christ-centered time of year, more often than not, this season is marked by higher than normal levels of anxiety and fear. Fear of not having enough money to fund this very expensive season. Fear of not meeting everyone's expectations. What if I didn't get that person the right gift? Or what if they outgive me? Or fear about meals. Fear about who will be at those meals, perhaps. Fear about who will not be at those meals. Fear about what will happen if that person and that person are in the same room together for the same meal. There's almost a chronic level of fear present during these supposedly happy, joyous days. Today, I want us to take some time and look at fear through the lens of three different times when God sent his own angelic messengers to the earth with messages connected to the birth of his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And interestingly, each time those angels showed up, they brought big news, significant news, even troubling news to the hearts of the hearers. However, at the same time they brought troubling, disturbing news, they also came with an incredible message of peace. Three times the angels appeared, at least three times that the biblical narrative records for us, and three times those angels spoke words that were intended to reduce the level of fear in the life of the hearer. And might those same words that the angels spoke have application for us? especially in this season of amped up, higher than normal fear. First, we see the angel who comes and says, don't be afraid, instead, just believe. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter one. If you don't have a text, you can follow along in the side screens and the one above my head, the straight above my head screen. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. It's quite a greeting. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. Those are strong words. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. There's those words. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. It's not exactly the most clear answer to how that will happen. And Mary has happened to her the very same thing that most often incites fear in our lives, and it's when our lives don't go just as we have planned, right? 
And it's when our lives don't go just as we have planned that fear creeps in. Why? Because we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what's around the next bend, the next corner. We're frightened terribly of the unknown, aren't we? But isn't it true that very often God actually allows things to happen in our lives that are hard and even more hard to understand, and yet when we emerge on the other side of that season of difficulty, we find that we have come to know God in a new way, and we have a new perspective on some aspect of his nature and his character. Isn't that true? See, God allowed that season of challenge, that season of unknowing, for the purpose of us growing up in him. For the purpose of us coming to know him in a better, deeper, more full way. In a way that we would not have known him unless we traversed through this difficult season, this difficult period. But when those difficult times come, isn't it just true that it becomes very, very easy for us to question the Lord and question his judgment and question what he is doing and even question his purposes? Think on Mary's ordeal for just a moment. Just put yourself in her shoes. If Mary is going to be a part of God's very unbelievable plan... She faces, first of all, this very strong possibility of having her engagement to Joseph completely broken, trashed, ruined. As a matter of fact, Mary knew that Joseph would actually have legal right to have her executed, yes, I said executed, when the truth that she is pregnant comes to light. Now, let's just say for the sake of our conversation here today that somehow Joseph manages to look past this little pregnancy thing and does marry Mary. She certainly knew, didn't she, that people were going to be talking, right? That people would be gossiping, and when she passed by, they would be whispering about her. She and Joseph would all of a sudden have a reputation for being the sexually promiscuous young couple. And that was, of course, a way less than ideal situation for a young Jewish girl to find herself in. And yet in the midst of all of that, God called on Mary to step out in great faith in him in order to be a part of his divine and even quite daring plan. Let's just admit, it is a daring plan. And being a part of God's daring plan would cost Mary something. It would cost her something. And even though it was costly, Mary was willing to step out in faith at great cost, at great risk to herself, to her family, to her reputation, because at the end of the day, Mary knew, Mary understood, Mary got how incredibly much God loved her. God loved her. And therein lies the enormous difference between when God challenges us to step out in great faith and when we're just faced with an opportunity to take some kind of a risk. See, how many times have you had the opportunity to do something risky? Just get one in your head. How many times? Hundreds, maybe thousands. Maybe it was a business venture. Maybe it was just an adrenaline-inducing challenge of some kind. Maybe it was related with a personal goal that you've carried in you for a very long time. But at the bottom of all of that, the truth is that a whole bunch of the time, the challenge to do something risky comes from people and comes from places that don't really give a rip about us, do they? And sometimes those challenges 
They don't even have to be spoken. Sometimes it's just an unspoken pressure to fit in, to go a certain direction, to do or say a certain thing. We've all been in that place at one time or another, haven't we? But at the bottom of it all, very often, the challenge for risk comes from people in places that don't give a rip about us. People who don't really love us, nor do they really have our best interest at heart. It's just a risk that they're asking us to share in with them. But God's risk-taking is entirely different, isn't it? It is entirely different. God never pressures us to fit in with any crowd. God loves us, doesn't he? And he only wants what's best for our lives. He calls us, though at times, to a place of risk-taking. But at the same time, it isn't just sheer risk. At the same time, he's calling us to a place of greater and deeper faith in him in who he is, in how he shows up, in how he provides. It isn't just step off the edge of this cliff and see what happens. It's step off in great faith in who God is and how he's going to provide and show up and show himself to be real, often almost tangibly real to us. And as we're wise to do with any risk, Mary had some very legitimate questions didn't she? If she was going to become pregnant with the Son of God, she wants to know, how is that going to happen? And yet, and this is a very big deal, do not let this get past you, Mary did not let her questions stop her from taking the risk. She did not let her questions stop her from taking the risk. How many times do we wave off God's invitation to take risks and step out in great faith in him because there's just too many unanswered questions? The questions very often just stop us dead in our tracks, don't they? That's why I have to tell you all that I am so incredibly proud of the leadership council of our church. The leadership council of our church are the guys who function as a hybrid between our elders and our board of directors and help lead our community. There's seven of us. And as we wrestled over the past several months with the decision of whether or not to proceed with the building of that phase one of our community center and ministry campus, there were a ton of questions. And not all of them, I'm being real honest, were able to be entirely and completely answered. One of those was, can we truly raise $2 million, around $2 million, starting next fall to pay off the construction debt that we're incurring to build this building? And we didn't know the answer to that question perfectly. We still do not know the answer to that question perfectly. And you should know this, that we have two bankers and an engineer on the council, and for them especially, not having all the answers in black and white is a very difficult thing as some of you can identify well with. And that's where the fear creeps in, isn't it? Unanswered questions. The what ifs. Lots of us identify with that. And the reason I'm so proud of our leadership council is because they didn't let the fear that entirely unanswered questions can lead to keep them from saying, yes, yes, We see God leading us in this direction. We see the doors opening wide. We're going to walk through these doors, even though we don't have all the questions perfectly answered as we sit here today. We chose to believe 
that God is indeed making the way for us. And though we cannot see the whole entire plan, we cannot see the whole entire scope, we know that he does love us and that he has our best interest in heart and mind. And so we said, yes. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had the exact same choice to make. She said, yes, I choose to believe in God's incredible and undying love for me and his perfect plan for my life. But she could only say yes to the part of the plan that God had given her because, you see, God didn't give her all of the plan. Because very often when God challenges us to move out in faith and to be part of a God-given dream, a God-given invitation to take great risk, it's all right to ask questions. It's more than our right to ask questions. It's okay to say, God, that's a fantastic vision, but how in the world are we going to get from point A to point B? And as you see in the narrative, God answered Mary, certainly, just as he will answer you when you ask him. But get this, he might not always answer you in the way that we want the answer, as in every blank filled in, all of the details perfectly answered. The angel Gabriel only gave Mary enough information so she could make a moderately informed decision. Because it's just true that most of the time it's God's prerogative to give us just enough light for the path that is immediately before us. Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. You know this verse well. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet, and it is a light for my path. God does not say that he will always make it perfectly clear. His plan will not always be perfectly clear. Instead, he says, I'm going to give you just enough light so that you can set your foot just ahead of the place that it is right now. We want searchlights. We want streetlights. We'd like the sun to shine most of the time. But in reality, God says, look, I'm giving you like handheld flashlights and headlamps so that you can see just ahead of where your foot is right now. Because it's a trust deal. And the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid. Just believe. Believe. How is God asking you to put aside your fear right now and just simply believe? Believe, just simply trust him, his goodness, his love, his plan for you. Next, we see the angel come and say, don't fear. This time, just obey. Don't fear, just obey. Look at Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. You can flip there in your Bible or follow along on the screens. Matthew 1, 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid. There it is. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Just in case you're wondering, Joseph, if there's some hanky-panky going on, it was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And check this out. When Joseph woke up, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. How many times have you read or have you thought about or have you heard the Christmas story and never once stopped to consider the level of the emotions that Joseph had to wrestle with so that he could submit to God in ways get this, ways that are absolutely contrary to his every natural inclination as a man. I think about that. And most of the time, we don't. Like the stuff that Joseph was chewing through and clawing through and processing and trying to digest with the Lord. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how or when Joseph learned of Mary's pregnancy. It doesn't tell us who told him we... I'll I'll bet that was an interesting scene, though. We can picture it in our mind's eye. But when Joseph learned of, let's call it, the situation, his pregnant bride-to-be, there's only two possible solutions that he was faced with. Number one, he could divorce Mary quietly and and then have her sent away until the baby was born. Uh, Go live with an aunt somewhere. Just go away, right? Or he could divorce her publicly and thereby subject her to the ridicule and humiliation of the entire public I, that option, by the way, could have even resulted in Mary's death, according to Old Testament law, Deuteronomy chapter 24, if you want to get into some of the nitty-gritty there. And so you can imagine his wrestling. Imagine what that was like. And as he wrestled with all of that, he fell asleep, and he receives this message. An angel from heaven comes. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And the Bible doesn't give us very much data on brother Joseph. What we do know about him, though, is that he kept his ear so incredibly attuned to the voice of the Lord, didn't he? And then he did this crazy thing. He actually did what the Lord told and asked him to do. He kept his ear inclined to the Lord so that he could hear what the Lord was saying to him in the midst of this incredible wrestling, and God spoke, and then he wakes up, And he goes and he marries Mary. He just does what the Lord asks and invites and challenges him to do. He very simply obeyed God. He obeyed God. Despite all of the cultural expectations, despite all of the culturally accepted practices, Joseph listened to the voice of God and did exactly what God asked him to do even when he knew that God's road was going to take him down a path that he would have never chosen for himself. Obeying God was going to be no picnic for Joseph, I promise. 
And you'd imagine Joseph's thinking going something like this. I do not understand everything that I've just been told. If somebody made me explain it, I couldn't. I'm not even sure that I'm altogether happy about what God's asking and telling me to do. But, but, if that's what God's asking me to do, I'm in. Count me in. I'm just going to do it. And honestly, folks, I don't know how else to say it other than to say obeying God is costly, isn't it? Very often, obeying God is just flat costly. It's expensive. It's not even easy. And yet at the end of the day, it is the right thing to do, isn't it? And right now, I know there are a whole bunch of people who are sitting in this room and watching on the web and listening via podcast who are right now on the bubble trying to figure out if they're going to obey God in a situation or not right now. And I don't care if it's in regard to your marriage or your finances or your business practices or the way that you conduct your family and the raising of your kids or anything else for that matter. Please hear me clearly. It is in your best interest to obey God starting right now. Just obey God. Just do the right thing. Just hear what God says and go walk it out. One step, one choice, one decision at a time. And just like Joseph was and just like Joseph did and just like you might be saying right now, but, but the but the right thing is going to be hard and it's going to be costly. And the right thing even looks bad from where I'm sitting right now, like some ride this right thing is going to be. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 17. Here's what the Bible says. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. That's someone staring square into the face of doing the right thing and seeing that it is going to even be trouble. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And then look at what Paul writes. Yet, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Now you get that. That means that this, quote, affliction, if you want to call it that, that the right thing, that doing the right thing, that obeying God feels like sometimes, this burden that we bear as we try to do the right thing. Some people even liken it to a weight around their neck of doing the right thing, obeying God, is really, Paul says, absolutely weightless because of the eternal load of glory that belongs to the person who does the right thing. That means in light of eternity, in light of every single thing that's coming down the pike, not in this life, in the life that is to come, sure, it's expensive now, but you haven't seen nothing yet. In light of what's coming in eternity, for those who obey God and trust God and do the right thing, this momentary affliction is nothing. It's nothing. Obey God. Do the right thing. Check your fear at the door and obey 
God, please. And last, and we'll close with this one. We see the angel comes and says, don't fear because you're important to God. Don't fear because you are important to God. Look at Luke chapter two. This is the birth story of Jesus chapter. Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. There it is. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Why in the world are the shepherds afraid? Why are they afraid? It's this truth that people, all people, have almost always quaked in their boots when they were confronted with the reality of God because there's something powerful about coming face to face with the Almighty that has a way of making us face who we really are. No matter who we think we are, there's something stark that happens when we come face to face with God Almighty, doesn't it? And there's lots and lots of people who think that if God is even aware that they exist, that he probably does not have a very favorable opinion of them and their life and what they are about. A whole, whole bunch of people hold that kind of a view, that level of a view of God But the appearance of the angels to the shepherds tell us, no matter how insignificant that you think you and your life are, God knows you and you matter to him. You are incredibly important to him. No matter what you think of yourself, no matter what you think God thinks of you, you matter to him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 28, check this out. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So here's these lowly shepherds out there. They are ordinary and they are very common people. They are not the social elite. They are common working folk. And yet look who God entrusts first and foremost with the greatest news that will ever come to humanity. Think about that. It wasn't the powerful. It wasn't the wealthy. It was the very, very ordinary. And no matter what view you hold of yourself, God says to all of us, every last one of us, you are of inestimable worth to me. You matter so much to me, and I love you so much that I give you my one and only son as the gift who makes your relationship with me possible. So would you please put your fear down and start living as one who matters to the most high God of the universe? Will you put your fear down? Will you believe him when he says that you matter to him? When you take your stuff and set it aside, and I just invite you to close your eyes and 
bow your heads and just go to prayer, if you would, please. Spend some time with the Lord and listen in to him. fearful of right now I'll bet you it's not something silly like being alone in the forest it's probably something real real something that's looming before you I bet that thing that you're afraid of is a lot like the thing that those participants in the very first Christmas feared so much. And God came, and God spoke, and God said, Put your fear down. Put your fear down. Do you think that it might be able to work the same thing the same way in your life? Do you think that it might be possible for you to put down most all of the fear or every bit of it by just doing the very thing that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds did a couple of thousand years ago? Remember, it was the first angel who came and said, don't be afraid, instead believe. Don't be afraid. Instead, believe. Where and what is it that you just need to step out and believe God? Just trust Him that He's going to deliver on His promises, that He's not going to leave you hanging, that He didn't bring you to this point to dump you out on your head and sit back and laugh at you. Don't be afraid. Instead, believe. And then the second angel came and said, Don't fear. Instead, just obey. You think that it might be possible for a whole bunch of the fear that you're carrying with you just to be offloaded right now by you just choosing to obey God, you just choosing to do the right thing, you just choosing to get off the bubble and say, all right, God, I'm going to go your way on this thing. And it looks like when I go your way, God, it might be a wild, crazy, hairy ride. But I'm trusting you. And then the third angel came and said, don't fear, because you matter. You're important to God. I just invite you and the Lord in this time to press in and come to terms. Come to a place of real heartfelt business transaction where you say, God, I don't want to be afraid anymore. 
And so I'm going to believe you and I'm going to obey you. And I'm going to trust that I really matter to you. God in heaven, we love you more than we love anything. And this life that you've given us is amazing and wild and crazy and fun. And what makes it the most fun for us, God, is your love for us. It's you're walking with us. And so we say thanks. Thanks for not just leaving us out here on our own. Thanks for loving us unconditionally. Thanks for being a God who doesn't just leave us sit in our fear. But thanks for being a God who wants to take it. wants us to be done with the fear deal. And God, if there are any sitting in this room right now who are considering a first time step across the line of faith in you, God, I pray that you would prompt and nudge their hearts as only you can. That you would be speaking square into their lives right here and right now, God. And if that describes what's happening in your life, right here, right now, in your heart, right here, right now, wherever you're sitting, I just invite and I challenge you to say to God, I want a relationship with you, God. Come into my life. And please forgive me, God. I don't get this all the way, but I acknowledge certainly that Jesus died on the cross for my sin as the payment for my sin. And God, I repent today. I turn from my sin, I turn from my own path, and God, I walk your way. Help me begin that new life right here, right now. And if you prayed with me just then that way, that's the biggest choice, the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing is a bigger deal. And it's such a big deal around here, we ask people to tell us when they've made that decision, that transaction with the Lord. And we don't do it in a way that embarrasses anyone at all. It's just a you and me and God thing. No one's looking around this room but me. If you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold as to just slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and just say, yes, I, yeah, right, both of you right back there in the back. See ya. Are there any others? Just make sure I catch your eye. I don't want to miss you. I see it. God, may we take your message of fear not incredibly seriously. Help us put it down and be done with it. Help us be people who walk in the fullness of the life that you intend for us, God. Abundant, full, rich, fear-free life. 
for sending your son to live and to die for us. We'll never forget. And we will order our life accordingly to the greatest gift we can ever imagine. We love you, Jesus. We're yours. Amen.